Join Greenbook at the 2024 Insight Innovation Exchange Conference Series. IIEX is your global hub for connections, inspiration, and innovative solutions in market research. Visit greenbook.org events to learn more about events in Asia, the Americas, and Europe. Use the code PODCAST for 20% off general admission on all upcoming events. Hello, everybody. This is another edition of the Green Book Podcast. I'm Karen Lynch, excited to be hosting today. And if you had been on the little pre-show chatter, you would have already heard the laughter. I'm bringing joy to this episode today with somebody who's quickly becoming one of my favorite people in the industry, although I've only known her but just over six months or so. Sequoia Glenn is with us today. She is the principal consultant also the founder of the 924 Cooperative. And I'm going to let her introduce herself to you in a moment. But I just want to tell you, she caught my eye in a LinkedIn post at some point. You know, the algorithm puts people in front of you that says this is somebody that you need to be paying attention to. And I paid attention to this because in one of her write-ups, she calls herself the data bay. And I just fell in love with that phrase. And I thought, this is a woman who knows something about personal branding. So we're going to unpack that and her career and her expertise today and talk a little bit about personal branding for all of you insights marketers out there and insights professionals that need to work on that. Welcome Sequoia Glenn to the Green Book Podcast. Ah, thank you, Karen. You are literally just a joy, y'all. We were really having a whole kiki on the side. I think we're having a little (laughs) internal one now, but thank you so much. And and to the entire Green Book family, y'all have given me a very warm welcome this very short time we've known each other. And I just, I'm so excited be here. Yeah, you know, well, we're really excited to have you too. You know, you're somebody that we should know because you're doing some great things in the industry. And I want to talk just a little bit about kind of the work that you do at the 924 Cooperative and and we can start there. And then we'll talk a little bit about kind of how you got here. So first, tell us a little bit about what you do. Yes. So what I do simply, I tell people all the time, I just make people money and it's just one data point at a time. Right. So but seriously, it's a little bit deeper what I do. Um, My agency, we're a little boutique agency in Atlanta and I strive to turn agencies on its head, essentially. Typically, The agencies I've worked for, work with, it's all about the client fitting the agency, but we're trying to change that and redefine those those relationships by really making sure our agency fits our clients. So for me, we have cooperatives, which is a fancy word for freelancers. These folks are their own business owners, or they may be working at another agency that says, hey, go out and flourish, or just subject matter experts where a client will say, hey, here's our problem, here's what we're trying to solve, and here's the target. I custom staff those accounts by people that are within the target so that we have a little more fun doing the work. We do it with more passion and just more cultural accuracy across advertising, marketing strategy and market research. Yeah, that's really cool. And I bet you benefit or certainly maybe not you solo, but for the rest of you collectively must benefit from the creative thinking and the diversity of thought that you all bring. So you're sort of working as a team, which is something a lot of freelancers don't have. Absolutely. And that was exactly why I designed it the way I did. When I was at the agency and I ran my research department, 
I had been to so many different jobs. And if you look at my LinkedIn, you'll know how many jobs I had. So I made these connections everywhere, right? Around the world. And so when I got to where I was leading the research team, I could call my friends and say, hey, we need this, we need that. And I knew a little bit about a lot of stuff. So over time, when I finally said, okay, God, I'm gonna do this entrepreneur thing full time, I took the same model because it worked. And so those same people that I either used to work for, I freelance for them now, or my team, we built really cool custom data streams and custom data solutions for advertising agencies that otherwise wouldn't even know this wonderful world of research and data exists. So it's really cool, the diversity of thought. It's helped me develop products and solutions for the agency, but ultimately do some really cool things for people that we work for where we can have a little bit of a... A little more finesse in getting the work done, but also the financial impact where they're not having to source all these people. I do it for you and I keep everything lean um, so we can just get the work done and make you money faster. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> One data point at a time. I love that so much, by the way. I'm probably going to repeat that again and again because I, I loved that phrase in the beginning, the making you money one data point at a time. You, you know, the other thing I like about your model, I can relate to it. So you may not know this about me, but I have a career as uh, kind of a pre-Green Book career as a qualitative researcher. And much of the work that I did was kind of work that came at me through some of my other qualitative research peers. So I became one, one friend of mine and I, we kind of coined the phrase in our worlds, like friendly competitors, like we do the same thing. We actually could compete for business and we had some mutual clients, but we were each other's like number one backup when we needed it. I mean, there was a period of my life where, you know, somebody's husband passed away and they called me and said, hey, can you do this work? My husband passed away. Somebody broke a leg. Hey, can you do this work for me? I've broken my leg. And it was like, I became somebody that people could call, like a friend that you can call to say, help me out. So I love the idea of your cooperative because that's really what it is. It's cooperating in the workspace because when one of us does well, everybody does well. We lift each other up. Absolutely. And that's what it's about. Like the, especially the conferences, which you all know at Green Book so well, Everybody doesn't get conference visibility. Everybody can't be a speaker, right? So for me, because I am a speaker, thankfully, I'm able to think about people when people come up and say, hey, I really like what you talked about at IIEX. Do you, can you work on this? I'm like, sure, but guess what? There's five other people that you didn't get to see speak that can work on this too and let me lead how we can work together. So I try to use my seat at the table, my visibility, my brand to help identify other researchers that may not have one or they just may not be wanting to do that, but they do really good work and better than I could ever do for that extra subject or whatever. So it's pretty cool. Hopefully it scales well. Ask me in five years. <laughs> but for now, you know. It's well, we will. Don't, yeah, we will. Well, well, let's follow up on that and see where you are in five years. But I'm anxious to follow this journey for you because I, I think that you're doing amazing things. So, so let's talk about some of that. What brought you to the point where you could call yourself kind of a marketing strategist or a, you know, kind of a, a marketing consultant or a strategic consultant, which, and or one of those labels, they're all somewhat interchangeable in the work you do in marketing and strategy. What brought you there? Yeah, that's a great question. So a little bit of a lot. So I would say years of service. I, I Although I am a millennial and no, I don't think you should spend four years on a job to get credit, right? I don't think that. But I do think there is merit in time. I think that time allows you to see more than one account 
in a more than one environment, right? When you're too, too, too short, and I've wanted to quit jobs or change jobs in three or six months. I mean, I think we all have. But when you don't stick it out a little bit longer, you miss a couple of the business things. You miss some of the types of work, right? So for me, I did not brand myself as an expert until really year seven. And I didn't walk confidently in it until year 10. Those years allowed me to see the economy boom and bust. Things happen that were completely unpredictable or very predictable, right? Companies grow and scale. Companies get acquired and rebrand. So for me, when you say you're an expert, you have to be able to have work that has changed over time. If you are somebody, I'm not knocking one client people, right? Because it pays their bills. But when you only work with, say, one or two clients for your career, or you're doing this very a very short time, you don't really know enough about the full industry or the full spectrum of what we're talking about. You can't say, even me and you, right? We have years difference. You're light years ahead of me in experience. There are certain things I cannot tell you, Karen, about what you've experienced because you have about five plus, 10 plus, whatever, however many years ahead of me, right? So for me, I was very intentional about me saying, hey, I'm a, I'm a junior, I'm associate, I'm director, and let my words um, and titles change with time because there, there is a certain respect that I like to have around time put in. So maybe it's me being a military brat. I don't know. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but I can really relate to something that you're saying here, which is the titles. And I remember very quickly in my career, my very first sort of title was an you know assistant field director. It was for a qualitative consultancy, and I was the one you know helping somebody else write the screeners and helping somebody else be the kind of the field liaison. And it was a humbling, boring administrative position. But I was like, you know what? I'm an assistant field director now. I won't always be. And then, you know, like I, I stayed there for a little bit and then I left to become kind of, you know, a field director. And then I moved from that into like a junior moderator. And I remember thinking like, I'm a junior moderator now. And the whole idea that I was junior, but it was okay because I didn't have expectations. I had a point in time where I was like, you know what, when I am almost 10 years into my career, I will have done all of this junior stuff. And then I, you know, was was nearly 10 years out when I founded my own business because I had done all of these things to get to where I wanted to be. So if you're in that phase, kind of now talking to the audience, if you're in that phase of your career where you're wondering, like, am I OK where I am right now? Be patient with yourself. I guess that's the gift we can offer up, right, is be patient with yourself where you're, you're where you need to be. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the part that people don't know about me. I was a coordinator for four years. I was a coordinator. I switched companies three or four times as a coordinator. I had an MBA and two undergraduate degrees, and I was still a coordinator. Now, part of this is, was my frustration with corporate America. But looking back at my experience, right, that's how I met a lot of these people. When you're a coordinator, you can fail a little bit easier. Even though my experience was light years ahead of coordinator, I was able to fail a lot more than some people that I was kind of envious of at the time who jumped straight into being a digital marketer or whatever the other sexy titles were at the time. So I tell people, especially Gen Z, if we have some Gen Z listeners on the podcast, be patient. A lot of things are not as they seem 
You can have the great sexy titles, lead this, architect that, whatever the thing is today, right? But if the work does not match the time and if the work and the time doesn't match the results, it does not really matter. So for me, time was my biggest driver in the research world. Time was my biggest driver, but then also making sure I have enough use cases or case studies, referrals, revenue that I can say, yep, my research helped that. Then I can go out. I think right now, not to get in a soapbox, but I do think right now with social media and podcasting and all these things, anybody can say they're an expert and people believe it. There are so many people, especially in marketing right now, making millions of dollars off of content. But when you have deeper conversations about, well, when is the last time you ran an advertising campaign? When is the last time you moderated a focus group? Or what was your most successful? The data is not there. So for me and my brand, we have a, a, a phrase within the co-op that says, if we can't measure it, we don't do it. And I take that personally for my own success, but also my team and my business, because if we can't measure it and put our money where our mouth is or put our results where our mouth is, then we have no business doing it and actually saying we are experts and leaders. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And I love that phrase. So I'm reminded of uh, one of my former employees also who, you know, was talking to me. This was back when we were creating OKRs for the first time. And he was like, you know, basically saying, you know, measure what you manage and manage what you measure. And I had to really, as a qualitative researcher, get my head around the world of metrics and how how that is going to make me better at my profession. So I love that. It's very interesting. Let's dig into branding a little bit. So obviously, this is some of the work that you do. And then you spoke at IIEX about personal branding. So let's just talk about branding and the importance of it at a higher level. And then we can dig down into personal branding for you as a professional. Absolutely. Branding is something that I was really against. If you would have asked me this in 2017, I would have been like, heck no, I'm not doing any branding work because branding was like the word. It's kind of like right now, everybody calls everything narcissism or gaslighting. It's like, y'all, that's really not what that is. So <laughs> I was very... <laughs> Branding adverse as a marketer because people started calling all things branding. But mm. I'm very critical sometimes, but in my criticism, I'm going to study. And so I did realize what branding was and isn't. And I still, to this day, I have partners in branding that really get deep because really it's all about, to me, branding is all about what do you want people to think or feel about you, your business, your product, or your service? I think it's that simple. I really do. Now, branding, my, my branding partner, he probably will tell me, Sequoia, that's too simple. And I say, well, Gary, that's why I pull you in when we talk branding with the clients, right? But for me, branding is so important because before you can even say what you believe and all those things, like in t like tangibly, your brand speaks. This is personal, personally or professionally, right? Um, Chick-fil-A. I mean, I'm here in Atlanta and Chick-fil-A, this is not, they didn't sponsor this. I'm just, I'm just obsessed. Okay? <laughs> Chick-fil-A has a very strong brand. It's, and Chick-fil-A is a relatively new, when you compare it to other QSRs, it's actually a relatively new brand over the yeah. lifestyle of, or the lifetime of QSRs. And there are certain things, especially because I'm in Atlanta, where you can see their font, you can see their colors, you can see those spots and you know, not just that it's Chick-fil-A, you also know what they stand for, right? Yeah. Now yeah. we can agree to disagree 
or disagree to agree about what they stand for, right? But you do know what they stand for. You know what to expect out of their team members. You know what they just offer even as a service, right? That's really solid branding. Of course, there are other parts, PR, comms, marketing, whatever. But ultimately, they've created this crazy cool brand that people know are fun, is family-oriented, and that they believe in balance between your lifestyle, between whatever you believe in, and the earth and all the other stuff. That's their, they're, they're very open about it. That takes time. And I think that so many, we see right now companies rebranding or attempting to rebrand. It's Y'all, it's, it's, it's July, so we have the Twitter thing happening, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Those decisions, and it's not to criticize the decision to rebrand. You can do what you want to do with your company. But when you look at Chick-fil-A and what they did slowly, building up and they made sure their time in the industry matched their output in the industry and matched the results in the industry. We talked about that earlier. The same thing happened with Chick-fil-A. Twitter isn't there right now. So is it really a good time to change a brand that may already not have some of these, what I call the trifecta? So those are just some, I don't. I, I know I kind of took us on a tangent, but those are some yeah, yeah. high level I like it. I like it. It has me thinking about a, a bunch of things and I want to come back to this trifecta, but but we'll put a little pin in that. What I love about the Chick-fil-A example is that you said they, you know, they know who they are from kind of a and from a brand image and brand equity standpoint, we know from the visual of it, the experience of being in the in the store, eating the food, all of it, but what they stand for, you know, what their values are. We know that. So like them or not, we understand what they are. And I think that's a piece that's missing from a lot of large brands is what do they stand for? Now, I also know, for instance, like Patagonia, at one point there was, you know, Patagonia took like a a one page ad in that was sort of a political ad. And it was like, oh, well, now we know what they stand for. So I think there are these brands that sometimes do a really good job saying, this is what I stand for. And it becomes a part of their fiber, a part of their DNA. And I think that is probably the ultimate goal is to not just have a brand that has a lot of equity, but also has values linked to it. Absolutely. Ben and Jerry's, that's that's another one. Like when you have a good brand, I think for me, even as a data person, I think it really boils down to the emotion of it. Data will always be there, right? But we get as an industry, I think sometimes we also forget data can be quantitative or qualitative. Hey, researchers, don't forget. Um, But you really want to think about those emotional drivers when you're talking about branding. At the end of the day, the colors I have for 924 Co-op, the font I have, all those things are actually a manifestation of what I want you to feel. I've recently changed my logo um, because I started as multicultural, multicultural, multicultural. So I had this this whole thing about multicultural, meaning I have to bring this African looking font with this cool, th- and, it, and it, at that point it did, right? It got me to the green books, right? Mm, <laughs> Y'all yeah, it, yeah, right? yeah. But when I got into the work that I actually do and I started hearing from people like you and other clients, how I made them feel, I changed my logo to a little bit of a cleaner logo. I removed multicultural. Because the feeling I want you to have is not that it's multicultural. I want you to feel empowered through data. And so for anybody listening that is having a brand issue personally or professionally, 
always go back to the heart of the driver, which is actually just all based on human emotion. And I think the PhDs will be uh, satisfied with that answer. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, we know they, they, yes. I love that you called them the PhDs because we all know who they are, right? We, we know you. <laughs> I love that. So, and one other observation about your site, and then this will help us kind of shift into the conversation around personal branding, which is I was struck by the authenticity of your team page. And I have it pulled up and I keep looking at it thinking so many people strive for consistency among all of the people on our site. We all have a consistent image because they that is part of their brand, right? They think we want everyone to look somewhat uniform, not in their physicality, but in how we treat their photos, in what we put out there. And when I hit this page, I was like, oh, I love this. You know, you have somebody with like the beautiful mountain scene in the background, and then you have somebody who's got kind of like, you know, digital art as their profile. And then, you know, you have somebody who just has like a a plain black background and somebody who looks like they're sitting in a living room. I'm like, everyone is different, yet all professionally done. And kudos to you. I think it's a great treatment of a team page on an Insights company website. Thank you so much. And it was intentional. I believe that when you're a full-time employee, then maybe you do have to look like the company wants, right? But these are not my employees. These are all partners. We all cooperate. We feed each other business. Um, The page is my lead team. I have other people, but those are my lead team where we've shared business five plus years before I even went full time, we were working on some of these things. And I tell them, I say, hey, however you want to present yourself professionally, now, as long as it doesn't infringe on anybody's rights, (laughs) then be that. I had one of the two last places I worked, they did this weird, and I get it at the time, it might've been cool. I, I never liked it, but they did this whole black and white photo thing. And it's supposed to be edgy and trendy and mysterious, but you're not going to see me on a call in black and white. You're going to see me in full color. I love leopard. If you can't tell, I have on, me and you both have on leopard um, (laughs) glasses and I have on a leopard jumpsuit. I love color. That's what you see when you interact with me. And I want people in this industry, as we get more and more diverse, stop washing people out into our own benefits and let people be who they are within reason. We're still working but be who they are because it's so much easier to be who you are than than to disgruntle somebody by forcing them to into a box that they're not. That's just not cool. Yeah, I yeah, it's it's absolutely absolutely the truth and I I love that you're saying this and I love that we're putting this out there because I think professionals have tried to be what they think is expected of them for a long time now. I'm sure that's in every industry. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine who also in marketing, but she's in the automotive industry and she was going to a trade show and she says, you have no idea how women at these automobile trade shows have to dress. And she was really, really frustrated with it because she's like, I just need to look a certain part. Anyway, I, I think that there is a lot of that going on. So I'm all for authenticity. How would you... How would you counter people's concerns about being too much themselves when they might be afraid of being judged? Like, what's your answer to that for people? You have to figure out what are what hill are you willing to die on, right? So everybody's not willing to give up their job. And not because they don't want to. I don't, I personally don't know anybody that just wants to work. I mean, when we if you if you got a billion dollars tomorrow, would you really want to work? I don't know. <laughs> but I know I wouldn't, right? But I say all that to say, 
I always tell people, I actually told a young girl today, we had a consult, figure out what is your why for what you're doing first, right? Be it, hey, I want to pay my bills. I've had some clients, because I do some small coaching for personal branding, they're like, one lady, she told me, listen, I have to stay at this job long enough for me to get my free IVF treatment. I cannot keep, keep quit my job within the next 21 months. I said, okay, great. That's your why. I've had people say that their wives or their husbands are full-time entrepreneurs. They have to have benefits. So I need to get just enough buy in this job so that my spouse can be covered. So those are three different examples of why. You figure out your why first, and then with your why, it can tell you a little bit how much risk you can take. Okay? Yeah. Tell me more. IVF. Yeah. That's $100,000, right? That yeah. is yeah. beyond the money, the emotional part, family building, and all the things that people with IVF or that have experienced IVF knows about IVF. Yeah. We can't compete with that, right? So if that is something that you're, you would be devastated if you lost your job and could not get your IVF treatment. Do not get up there being your 100% authentic self because your job did not pay you to. I would encourage that person to be their authentic work self. So for me, I, I joke, I say that means that you get Sequoia versus Koya. Koya is home. I can give you a little bit of that, but if it said, if you will be depressed, if you will be heartbroken, devastated for the person trying to pay bills, if you know your mortgage is already six months past due and you need this job, don't bring your full authentic self if it's going to come, come, you know, conflict with the job. We don't have those conversations. I cannot pay your bills. I'm not going to tell you ever. I, I'm not Beyonce. I love Beyonce, but I'm not Beyonce. <laughs> I'm going to quit your job. No, 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 no. So I say that to say when you figure out your why, it could tell you the risk. For me, my why was different. I don't have a family. I don't have a spouse. I knew I wanted to buy a house. And I knew as soon as I bought my house, I wanted to quit my job because I hated mm. it, right? <laughs> so my why is different. But if you hear the differences between those whys, I can take a little more risk because I already know what my reward can be, which was my house. I, and that's just it. So I tell people, you got to figure out what is keeping you at your job or what is feeding you as an entrepreneur. And if it ever became an issue and you lost your livelihood, how would you feel? Yeah, that's so important. And uh, I'll share a personal example. Also, anybody who knows me knows when I had taken, so I was self-employed for a long time. And then I took a full-time job at a supplier working, you know, kind of on the agency side, running kind of, well, building and then running a call department. And a lot of people said, why did you do this? Why did you, you know, why did you let go of the shingle that you had hung out for yourself to take this full-time work? And at the time I kept thinking to myself, my oldest son hit send on his college applications and I'm terrified about financial stability when I have, you know, he was the oldest of three kids we had to put through college. So my why really at that time was I needed to keep doing what I was doing, but in a way that offered me some financial stability. Fast forward to the pandemic and all the, first of all, all the kids come home and then my middle one, my youngest was still in high school and my middle one took a gap year, but my older son was really close to graduation and I had a reprieve from paying tuition at which point I actually left that job during this transition time. And I hadn't really, I, I knew I needed a change, but I hadn't really anchored it to the fact that my why changed, 
right? So in a moment, my why changed. Therefore, I was able to leave that company. And my why for taking this job was I knew I needed a very different kind of uh, mental challenge. I wanted to merge two different parts of my life, which was kind of publishing and content and insights. And this job is actually perfect for me holistically. So it's really interesting because I had never thought about my why for that previous job. And I've thought about it a lot, but it's because my why changed. Absolutely. And now your new why, maybe you can take a little more risk. You're also a little more senior than you were the last time you took a risk. So there's, I always say, look at the why and measure the risk and then try it. Read, like I told the young girl today, she's like, hey, Sequoia, I really, I shouldn't say young girl. We're, she's a little bit younger. <laughs> she's like, well, I really want to get my public speaking off the ground, but I work for this media, a massive media company. Mm, yeah. And I said, well, my answer to her was a little bit different. I said, well, first of all, you need to look at your employment contract. (laughs) You need to figure out, are you able to speak without your job having it or knowing about it or not? So all of that goes back to branding, really understanding your personal whys, understand if you are an employee, what the rules are, and then what hill are you willing to die on? Some people say no hill, sis, no hill. And that's fine too. Then you may want to just be Strictly professional, be careful about your words, don't use any personal opinions. But for those of of me over here who are full-time entrepreneurs, where people know you can fire me tomorrow, I'm still going to be okay. You can, I'm not going to apply to this job, like all these different things because my why is different, then maybe I am okay to die on the hill about some of the things I said at IIEX and I just say, okay, cool. So our whys are different, the way we approach things are different and you have to really be willing to evolve. And even in, in your story about the change in your jobs, that's an evolution. If we're the same people year over year, are we really doing humanity right? <laughs> you know, are we really living? So making sure we give ourselves space, um, especially researchers or the researchers that are so serious all the time. Give yourself space to evolve with the own, your own data that you're getting and keep your core brand, but also don't be afraid. If Burger King can can rebrand, if Twitter can figure out what the hell they're doing with their rebrand, I don't know what that is. <laughs> you can do it too. And, and that's just something I love to make sure people know. I love that. So now let me remember I had said I was going to circle back to that trifecta of branding that you had talked about. Is it different for individuals than it is for like when it comes to kind of defining your personal brand and compared to what it is for branding on a corporate level? Are there different things a person needs to be thinking about? Yes and no. They're they're the same types of things, but they're for different reasons. So example, stakeholders. Everybody has stakeholders. At a company that's public, it's your stakeholders from the stock market. A private company, those stakeholders may be in an investment firm and your employees. But personally, you you have stakeholders too. Your spouses, your kids, your pets, your community. If you have a faith-based system, those are stakeholders too because Either they benefit from or are punished by the choices you make, right? So I think a lot of it is parallel. It's just different outputs. Your measurement of success may be different. A company, at the end of the day, is what does that PL statement look like? You know, all of these things, D- diversity initiatives, it drives to money, environmental sustainability initiatives, it drives to money, sales initiatives, they are all. What radio drilled in my head 10 years ago was we're all in sales and revenue. That's what companies and branding does for them, sales and revenue. 
personally, it's kind of sales and revenue, but it's not. Personally, it depends. So for me, part of it is sales because I am a consultant. So people buy me and my business, right? But even if I was just CEO, personally, maybe the sale is that my family is actually happy because I'm not being a big B when I come home because I'm angry, right? Maybe the, the, the revenue is that I have more time because people don't approach me with bits that they know I'm not going to be about. I save a lot of time by saying who I am professionally, personally, <laughs> because I just know who I am. I'm not going to do research on proving Black people are any stereotype. I'm not going to do research that takes funding from women and so on and so on. Those are stances I say very verbally. They save me time. My stakeholders are my friends that get to see me happier. They get to see me working on projects of passion and they just get more time with me. So parallels, yes, some things are different. Personal branding can be a lead generating opportunity. I think a little bit more then corporate is just, a, it's diff- it is, but it's different, right? So those of us, especially those that y'all see at the conferences speak over and over, the one thing that's about us is that people know kind of what they expect. You don't know what nugget I'm going to drop, but you do know what to expect. The same thing is with corporate branding. So lots of similarities, a couple of nuances, but mostly similar is just different outputs. Yeah, yeah. So funny, while you were talking, I was reminded of another kind of connection that I'm making in this conversation, reminded of my oldest son's fourth grade teacher who showed up every day, fourth grade classroom at an elementary school, showed up in a suit every day. And he was frequently asked, why do you wear a suit? You're a fourth grade teacher. And he said, every morning I wake up and I make the decision, do I want to dress for TV or radio? And he said, I choose TV every day. And it was such an interesting kind of thing to say. And anyway, I made an impact on my son who wrangled with that. Like, what does that even mean? You know, and, and really spent some time thinking about it. Well, within just a few years, this man, of course, becomes an administrator in our school district. And now he's the principal of a school, you know, of course, because he also was like looking forward to the job he wanted to have down the road. Like he was very deliberate about how he put himself in a classroom with kids to position himself with the parents and with the school district. So he knew his stakeholders, right? He knew his stakeholders. And yes, he was teaching the children, but his stakeholders were the other adults paying attention. I just think that's really interesting. And look at, and look at where he is. And it's so much, even, I mean, we talk about intentionality, like people know when they get me to speak, unless you tell me there's a dress code, which I have not ever had a dress code, they know more than likely I'm going to wear my database jean jacket. It can be a room full of suits. That's my personal brand. You know to expect that. And I have, or, and you probably know I'm going to curse too. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, but, you are in good company. <laughs> you know, I, I think we know I, I drop a couple of F-bombs every now and then. But I say that to say you kind of know what to expect. And it also says when those organizers reach out, they may, sometimes I get a podcast recording. They're like, hey, Sequoia. We like you, but we don't curse on this one. Or, hey, if you drop it, just know it'll be edited out. Don't want surprises. I'm okay with that. You're telling me your brand and what y'all stand for. And I tell you mine. And then we meet in the middle or we don't at all. And then I refer right. you to somebody. So right. we, I just think it's all about intentionality. Just like that teacher, he knew kind of who he was, where he was trying to go, and what feeling and emotion he really wanted those parents 
and peers to fill. And I'm pretty sure he didn't apply to that job. I'm pretty sure somebody referred him to that picked him up and got him to that position. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm pretty sure too. So, um, I mean, he also was, you know, a man in it in elementary education, which there's like three, I think right. it's, just, it's not very right. normal. So, you know, anyway, we could, we could go on about that sort of thing too, but yeah, I just thought the life lesson was really interesting about personal branding. It happened at a very young age. And I think, for, for again, people in our audience, you know, I think one thing about our conferences is, is people do show up in, in, I think a pretty neat way, you know, it's, it's sort of like, yeah, yeah, we're, you know, if we call it business casual, what do we mean by that? Especially after the pandemic, that could mean almost anything. That just means really not pajamas and we're probably okay. You know, it's like, (laughs) let's, you know, maybe leave those at home this time. So I think that as more people do that and start to show up in, in the clothes, with the hair, however they want to be in the world, the more accepting we can be of that, the better. And certainly, you know, when we, and and I don't want to go down here because the rest, you and I could talk about this for a long time too, but for women of color, it's so important for you to be able to show up as you are and not try to conform to what white women might have looked like in the business world, you know, who tried to conform to what Men in the business world, you know, I can't even, you know, go back to in the 90s, the suits I had, which were basically trying to make me look like a male. And here I was as a woman, not trying, not trying to do it differently because I wanted to be accepted by this very male dominant community in the world that I was in at the time. And so I think we have a long way to go, but people like you and people like other individuals in our audience who are showing up as themselves, I think are going to do humanity justice in the end. Absolutely. And and just even like, I want to shout out the, the panel at IIEX. There was an amazing panel about Hispanic research. And I think it was like Mario, Isabel, and a couple other leaders. And of course, I talk about my Blackness because I'm Black. But watching even how more Hispanic leaders are speaking up in their natural dialect, they're not code switching. Sometimes maybe I am like, Crap, I missed that one word. I don't know what that means, right? But how many times does somebody say that about me and my Southern dialect or my um, African-American vernacular English? So we both do the same thing. And it was so beautiful watching that panel show up so authentically and watching more and more Hispanic people and people of color at IIEX this year. Last year was good, but this year the topics and being able to have speakers be themselves culturally It matters. And those are parts when we talk about the personal branding and corporate, corporate Green Book is is saying, okay, here's our brand. But then you're picking people that can fit in it or challenge it, right? And also show up. So we, in the spirit of branding for the insights community, which is so tricky because we're all marketers at heart, right? It's just so weird. (laughs) But we, if we all take a piece of our stances, take one piece that you're passionate about, and show up in your brand, show up in what you stand for and what you believe in and who you are, then we might be all right. And I just, I think we talk a lot about black and white in America, but that Hispanic panel, like, yeah. like no, we got, we can't leave out our Latina and Latino communities because they are rising. And just hearing those rich dialects and the stories, I just was like, wow, that's how you do it. And that's how you do it well. 
Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. And I, you know, I certainly love any, um, any reference of our IAX events. And we are working really hard right now to, to bring people to the stage that that should be on the stage and be on the stage the way they, the way they are most kind of human and most authentic. And, and that's how we do a service. And that's also how, by the way, we will grow as an industry and innovate is by bringing diversity of thought, right? We go back to the whole reason for a cooperative or a collective or a group of people in a community that bring diversity of thought to the table. That's how we learn and grow. So I think that the more of us who can become truly our own individual brands as a community, we will bring so much color and brightness and light to this industry that, you know, can, can, can stand to be a little less conformist in my opinion. So yeah, super cool. <laughs> agree. Yeah. <laughs> agree. Agree. Enough about that though. Right. Yeah. It's so funny. I'm, you know, I'm looking at the clock and I'm like, oh yes, you and I can go on and on, you know, which, which is a, a delightful gift in and of itself. And I'm really excited that we're having this conversation. So let's try to kind of wrap it up and think about what's our advice to say it's a you know, a small insights company or, or an insights professional at a smaller insights company that might be listening? What are kind of the, the key ways they can start to do this work for themselves and for their small businesses? What are some of the steps they should take to, to have that confidence in their personal brand or their small business brand? Well, call me. (laughs) (laughs) But seriously, um, One is there is a book I really, really like called Differentiate or Die. I believe, is it a Jack Trout book? Maybe it's upstairs in my room, so I can't look at it right now, but it is called Differentiate or Die. That book is really good. Um, It was required reading for um, a sales team I was on with with an advertising sales for radio. And it really talks about how you stand out amongst competition and Essentially, if you don't figure out your piece of the pie, you will die. We've seen that. And this is not a step on toes and insights, but we have seen the differences between the research firms that have died out and that those people have had to go on to do other things versus the research companies that are being acquired. The research companies that are being acquired are differentiated and you basically got to join them (laughs) or you're going to get beat out. Right. So I say all that to say reading helps or listening to audiobooks, however you consume information, but that book is very good. Also, the conferences that are not insights conferences, I am like begging researchers to go to other conferences, go to the conferences that your customers go to, go to marketing conferences, go to media conferences, because those conferences do actually focus on where our conferences might have maybe two panels on branding because we have so much to talk about. Those conferences specifically are about branding. So if you're looking, um, I know we're at the later part of the year, look at your budgets for next year. Even if you can only send one person, look into conferences that are marketing conferences. There's one that off the top of my head is by Media Post. It's called Brand Summit. Brand Summit is excellent. If you can get there, maybe your clients can take you this time, right? But Brand Summit is great. And there's other conferences within the the greater marketing community. Inbound is by HubSpot. That's another good one that talks about branding. The last one, so we talked about kind of one free resource with the book, a little moderate paid resource with the conferences, but also guys invest in consulting. 
If you are not somebody, a lot of the research firms cannot hire a CMO, a chief marketing officer, a marketing director. Hell, they probably can't even hire a marketing strategist. I get it. I'm a small business owner and I need a virtual assistant, right? So I'm not beating that down. We got to look at our money and what makes sense. But while you're looking at those budgets for next year around that October itch, and you're thinking about what can I squeeze out? Look into small consultants that are maybe trying to get in the field. They might be starting out and maybe willing to do trade services or discounted services, or they just are really hungry. Look into those because a lot of times those small people that don't work at network agencies or have these big names have amazing ideas, and they are just looking for you to have that one spark to boost their career, and you're looking for that one spark to boost yours too. So there's plenty of them. I have two groups. One is Black Marketers Coalition. One is Culture MRX, where we do focus on collectivism and we do have people that are hungry and thirsty to help. You just kind of got to meet us, right? LinkedIn, you can look up hashtags, hashtag branding, hashtag marketing, thought leadership. Those are some of the hashtags that also touch on these topics where you can find these thought leaders And then you find out they have a whole practice that you just didn't know about. So hopefully that helps some of the listeners. Um, I'm always here as a resource to the Green Book community and just brainstorming on even how do you get creative with limited budgets or changing budgets or hell, just where to start. Yeah, I love that so much. So Natalie, our producer, will have some work cut out for her, but she's going to put a link in the um, show notes to that book. We'll put a, a link to the 924 Cooperative and some of the other organizations that you mentioned, Culture MRX, we could put that in there too. I just think that, you know, the reality is the more generous we are with things like that, with just that whole idea of let's let's share resources, let's collaborate. Hey, ask me for advice, then the better off we all are. So thank you for sharing all of that as well. There was one other question I had for you, and now it's just popped out of my head. And I'm like, ooh, it's probably, you know, the the universe telling me, Karen, you need to just, just stop talking because we could go on forever. So thank you so much. Anything else you want to share with our audience? Anything I didn't ask you? They're like, yeah, I just want to say this one thing. No, I, I do. I want to say one thing. I want to say... Be your own champion for your marketing. If you can do it for your clients, you can do it for you. It may take a two-week blackout week. It may take a little bit of being uncomfortable, but the work we do for our clients, that means we can do it for ourselves. Just be intentional to do it and make time and make space, make budget. And I promise the same results you made for your clients, it'll be even better for your business because it's yours. So that's it. I love that so much. And we know we've said all the time in this industry, like, you know, insights professionals are really bad at doing the work on their own businesses, <laughs> like do research for your research business. It really does make a difference. So certainly for yourself, if you're if you're helping people with marketing, do some do some introspection and marketing on yourself, too. So really excellent to talk to you, Sequoia. I might just get to Koya at some point. So yes. thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for your time and for your attention. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Natalie our podcast producer. Thanks always going out to you. Thank you to James, our audio editor. He is just a a resource that I'm grateful for. Every time I play back an episode, I'm like, oh, James, you do some good work. So thank you. And thank you to our listeners, because you continue to show up every week and you listen to what we say. We value you and appreciate you. Everybody, thank you. Have a great day.
Join Greenbook for the 2024 Insight Innovation Exchange. This global conference series, also known as IIEX, is where connections are made, inspiration is found, and innovative solutions are discovered. With more than 90% of attendees using IIEX Insights to shape strategic business decisions, the return on investment is undeniable. Whether you're in Asia-Pacific, North America, Europe, or Latin America, IIEX is your gateway to the latest market research best practices, tech innovation, and strategies for transporting insights into action. Nurture your career and business with insights from across the globe. And here's a bonus. Use the special code PODCAST to save 20% on general admission for all IIEX events. Visit greenbook.org events today to learn more and register. See you there.